All right, guys, welcome to the show. I got a million things to get to today. So, of course, we have Gaza updates, and they are not good. We have war on pro-Palestine free speech here in the U.S. We have protesters making the lives of Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren and many others a living hell. We have Jenk Uger versus Rabbi Shmuley on Piers Morgan show, and that is an absolute epic scream fest. We have Marjorie Taylor Greene turning on the Republican Speaker of the House already. It's been like a week or two, and he's already done so. And I warned you that this was going to happen. That job is impossible. All right, so without further ado, let's jump into it. Everybody do me a big favor. Please click subscribe. It helps massively in the algorithm if you subscribe to the channel, and it doesn't cost you anything. All right, so let's go ahead and dive into it here. So, of course, there's a million things to bring up when it comes to uh, Israel's slaughter in Gaza and everything that's happening regionally. So here in Axios, they say the following. U.S. Secretary of Defense Austin warned Gallant, Gallant is basically his counterpart in Israel, about Israeli military actions in Lebanon. So we've seen a lot of tit-for-tat skirmishes at the border where Hezbollah and the IDF are going back and forth. But in recent days, this has gotten worse and worse to the point that you have the IDF has now conducted some operations, some bombing, anywhere from 25 miles into Lebanon, and I've seen some reports that even say up to 40 miles inside Lebanon. And in this piece in Axios, they say that the U.S. Secretary of Defense is saying, we are afraid that Israel is provoking Hezbollah to get more directly involved in the war. And if that happens, now the U.S. is sort of getting a little squeamish about it, because we already gave Hezbollah our word, and apparently gave the Israeli government our word, that if Hezbollah gets directly involved we will get involved on the side of Israel. So now it appears like for the first time since the beginning of this conflict, uh, the Biden administration is looking at what Netanyahu is doing, and they're sincerely saying, Jesus, I didn't know you were going to go this far. Because what uh, Joe Biden uh, didn't know or overlooked is the fact that for a very long time, Netanyahu has been crystal clear he would like a wider regional war. He would like to topple the regime in Iran. He would like to go after Syria's Bashar al-Assad. He would like to go after Lebanon, go after Hezbollah. And if he could draw the U.S. in, he'd be very, very happy about that. And so now for the first time we've seen so far, the U.S. government is like, hey, dog, I don't know. This seems to be going a little bit too far for my liking. So you have the U.S. Secretary of Defense warning the Israeli Secretary of Defense, hey, uh, we don't like what we're seeing here. And they go on in this article to point out some of the tit-for-tat skirmishes. They go on to point out some of the drone strikes from Israel that killed innocent civilians, including a grandma in Lebanon. Um, They also point out that you had Hezbollah kill uh, something like 10 uh, Israeli soldiers and civilians. And they struck at the border where Hezbollah claims, hey, they were putting eavesdropping and spying equipment. Uh, on the border to come after us. And so they bombed those people. And Israel says, no, this wasn't eavesdropping or spying equipment. This was just people fixing power lines in the area that were down. And so I I don't know who's telling the truth on that front, but the fact of the matter is uh, it's getting worse and worse. And now you even have some officials within the Israeli government saying, oh, it's inevitable. We're going to do a war with Hezbollah in Lebanon. And so now Hassan Nasrallah came out the other day and gave a speech and basically punted and basically said, Um, you know, he didn't declare war on Israel at that point in time. And he even said, the U.S. warned us, if we get involved, they're coming after us. And it's almost like, you know, 
the implication is, well, we can't handle it if the U.S. gets involved. So, you know, we're kind of our hands are kind of tied here. But uh, the U.S. was happy with Nasrallah's speech because he didn't come out and officially declare war on Israel. But now with uh, the increased fighting in the region, it looks like it may spiral out of control. Okay, so now we get this. The other day, Israel comes out and they say, or actually I should be clear, the U.S. comes out and says, um, we spoke to Israel and it turns out we succeeded. We're going to get a four-hour humanitarian pause. Okay, now, first of all, the fact that you need to like codify a four-hour break in the bombing, if anything, just highlights how extreme the bombing really is. Like, hold on, previously... You weren't breaking for four hours. It was literally like all day, every day, the bombs were dropping nonstop. So that was just astonishing to me. But look, I told you guys, I don't like humanitarian pause is this bullshit term that was invented like two weeks ago. It's not a thing. It came from uh, Cap or J Street or one of these like progressive Israel groups. And it's a way to differentiate between a ceasefire. And so the whole idea on the humanitarian pause is we'll stop for a little bit. And we'll send in some water and some food, but then we'll immediately go back to bombing. Well, that doesn't really make much sense now, does it? It's a weird thing to, to support as if it's some sort of solution. It's not a solution at all. Well, guess what? After they had agreed to a, a four-hour humanitarian pause, afterwards, some Israeli officials come out and say, oh, no, we're not actually committing to, to any kind of humanitarian pause for any set number of hours. We're actually not doing that. So in other words, look, this is, they are humiliating and embarrassing the U.S. who came out and said, we got word from Israel, we've agreed, they're going to do a four-hour humanitarian pause. And Israel's like, ah, no, we're not. We didn't say that. And so, and by the way, they also talk about, oh, we're setting up a humanitarian corridor. And they're trying ultimately to get some of the civilians in Gaza uh, expelled into the Sinai Desert in Egypt. And they're trying to bribe Sisi the leader of Egypt, to set up these tent cities in the desert. And he's hesitant because he feels like, hey, I'll be aiding and abetting in ethnic cleansing if I do that. And uh, the Israeli government is basically saying, we're setting up a humanitarian corridor because it's the right thing to do. But in reality, there's another way to describe what's happening here, and it's ethnic cleansing. Like, on the one hand, of course, you want the civilians to get out of harm's way. But there's an easy way to get them out of harm's way. Stop doing harm. Let them stay in their homes and stop bombing. But instead, they're like, well, of course we're going to bomb. They're acting like it's some natural disaster. It's a law of nature. It'll continue. Of course we're going to bomb. So we need a humanitarian corridor in Egypt, which is like just putting lipstick on the pig of ethnic cleansing, right? Like, well, we want them to be safe and we want them to be in Egypt. But it's like, you don't have to force them to Egypt. You can just stop bombing. And so now ethnic cleansing has this fancy schmancy word of we're doing a humanitarian corridor. And so they're marching people from the north to the south. Look, let me get to more on this because I have some pictures and some videos here. So... Here we have at the UN, um, the Israeli ambassador. You want to talk about overreaching here? Holy cow, this is such a gigantic overreach and it's embarrassing. And look at what he says. The ground that this council receives comes from Hamas, not international UN employees in Gaza. I will remind the council that Hamas, a genocidal terror organization, controls every facet of Gaza. Every number from the so-called Ministry of Health in ha is Hamas. Many UNRWA workers in Gaza are themselves members of Hamas. The so he's claiming the UN workers on the ground, they're just Hamas. So in other words, if we bomb them, if we kill them, they had it coming. Because the UN workers are Hamas. 
uh, we've never witnessed anything like what we're seeing right now, man. We've n- I've never seen it in my life with all the uh, brutality of the Iraq war and the Afghanistan war and Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo Bay. We're above and beyond that. And we surpassed it a while ago. So now we have this. Somebody from Doctors Without Borders um, spoke out on basically the bogus nature of the humanitarian pause and what's actually needed on the ground. Watch this. We are talking about 4,000 children who are dead. And if I may be very clear, those are the most unpleasant deaths that these children could have died. They're being crushed in their homes. They're losing their limbs. They're undergoing surgery without anesthetics. What we are witnessing is horrifying, no matter the definition. And it should shock the conscience of all of us. You know, we, we are doctors in our nature. And what you are asking us to do with a humanitarian pause is to bring in the equipment necessary to stitch people up and repair them and then to start the bombing again and for us to then fix them. That is not enough. We need a ceasefire. I mean, what we are seeing right now is dozens and dozens of medical facilities in Gaza, which are absolutely raised to the ground. There is no capacity in Gaza at this point to care for the wounded who are there already. There are 3,500 beds in Gaza. Most of them are not available to patients at this point, and there are 10,000 plus wounded. Our surgeons are literally doing surgery on people on the ground, outside, in tents, in open air. There is no capacity at this point for a pause. We have to stop and allow the system to be able to rebuild, to be able to provide care. Here we have another doctor who is going to break down while describing what's happening on the ground there. Watch this. This one's gut-wrenching. We, as medical staff, want to leave, but we cannot. We might not survive until the morning. We might not survive till the morning. We don't want to be killed here just only because we remain committed to our patients and our medical profession. I am calling for help urgently. Please do whatever you can through your government or the international, the ICRC, the Red Cross, to arrange a safe corridor for the medical staff. Please treat this as top urgent. This is the director of the major trauma hospital in Gaza. Ceasefire now! So she was reading a message from a doctor in Gaza. This is in London, and she was breaking down as she was doing it. So this is, you have some Israeli officials who are coming out and saying, we're doing a Gaza Nakba now. For those of you who don't know, the Nakba or the catastrophe is when Israel kicked, I've seen numbers between 700,000 and 800,000 Palestinians off their own land. And, um... Now we're witnessing what some Israeli officials are calling the Nakba 2.0 or the Gaza Nakba. And you get images like this, where this woman is being marched from North Gaza to South Gaza with the ultimate goal of eventually getting her in the Sinai Desert in Egypt. This woman survived the first Nakba, according to reports. And now you see this, 90 years old and being forced by Israeli soldiers to go somewhere else. All right, 
So here is for those who don't believe me, this is what this this Israeli official says. I believe he's the uh, the minister for agriculture and former head of Shin Bet. Quote: We are now actually rolling out the Gaza Nakba. I think this is in Hebrew, but you can hear Gaza Nakba. Uh, more video here of what they're calling the Gaza Nakba. A lot of people being marched to a different place. Now, remember, this is being framed as a humanitarian mission. This is being framed as we're uh, getting them to safety. So we're, we're so altruistic in what we're doing here. Well, are these people ever going to be able to go back to their homes? I think we all know what's most likely. So now let me give you the new casualty figures. It just, like I said, it just keeps getting worse and worse. So the last time we talked, I believe we were at 11,000 killed. Now we have 14,160 killed, including 5,830 children. Let me be clear, this is from Euromed Monitor. You do have some slightly different numbers from uh, the UN, I believe it is, World Health Organization or UN, I think the UN, where they say their number as of right now is 11,000 killed in total. Euromed Monitor has 14,160. I should also point out the civilian death rate, according to the UN, is 74%. That's the low number. Uh, and according to Euromed Monitor, they have 12,910 out of 14,160 dead are civilians. So for them, it's over 90% of the dead are civilians. You also have 3,211 women killed. Injuries now were over 31,000. We now have 47 murdered journalists. The last time we talked, it was 46. Israel's killed another journalist. We have 1.6 million who are displaced internally. We have 54,100 uh, housing units that are completely destroyed, 158,800 partially destroyed units. Uh, you have 117 press headquarters that have been damaged, 214 damaged schools, 799 industrial facilities that are damaged, so basically like factories, places where people work. Uh, 66 mosques have been damaged, three churches have been damaged, 402 health staff have been targeted. Now we have 192 deaths among doctors and nurses and 210 injuries. And then uh, targeted health facilities. Everybody remembers when we were having uh, the debate around the Al-Ali hospital. Hey, was it the IDF that bombed it or was it uh, Hamas or was it a misfired Islamic Jihad rocket? And people were going back and forth on Twitter relentlessly over this. But Nobody really brings up this fact. There's now 115 health facilities that have been targeted, including 21 hospitals, 41 ambulances, and 51 clinics. So, you know, you, you work the refs by arguing over the particulars of one of the bombings, and then, 
I haven't heard anything from any of those people about the 115 or 114 other targeted health facilities. So here we have an infographic on how this is affecting children. So day 37 of the bombing, the Israeli war on the Gaza Strip has impacted 500,000 children. 6,100 kids have been killed. 15,500 have been injured. Now you have 17,500 more orphans that you didn't have before. And 450,000 of these kids in total have lost their home. Here we have Netanyahu rejecting another ceasefire for hostages deal in Gaza. We've now, I've now seen maybe three or four different reports with different terms um, for a negotiation for some sort of deal. And I never really heard an Israeli response to any of them. And all you see is the bombing continues. So, of course, Hamas still has about 200 uh, Israeli hostages or just hostages in general. Some of them are uh, citizens of other countries. So they have about 200 hostages remaining. And instead of like, you know, getting into the particulars and the details of that and trying to work out some sort of uh, an agreeable deal, you just see more relentless bombing. Right. We've seen proposals of let's all of the Palestinian political prisoners in Israel, which is about 10,000 or so, depending on which source you believe. Let's do a trade of all the hostages for all the political prisoners. We've seen that on the table. We've seen, hey, for a ceasefire, we'll release some of the hostages or in this instance, maybe all of the hostages. And these are all just being rejected. Ironically, at the same time that, you know, a lot of regular people are like, Jesus, we need to focus on these hostages and getting them home safe. And it looks like the Israeli government is not really concerned about it. It looks like priority number one is just, quote unquote, destroying Hamas, whatever that means, because I don't even think that's a goal that's humanly possible, especially when you're creating more Hamas every single day. But they're like, no, our goal is to eradicate Hamas. And so the hostages are like fifth or sixth down the list of things they care about. And this is more evidence to that effect right here. Doctors Without Borders says its staff are witnessing people being shot as they attempt to flee the Al-Shifa hospital. So... And there's some video of this, too, that's floating around online where you have some people leaving a hospital. They were told to leave. They leave. They're holding whatever they could find that mimics a white flag. And some people got shot at as they were leaving. We've also seen stories of um, because they there's no fuel and they can't really keep the hospital running. There were babies that were in incubators that had to be taken out of the incubators. And now at least some of those babies have died. Uh, also, by the way, and I think we have something on this later, apparently the Gaza Health Ministry works out of Al-Shifa Hospital, and so all the numbers updates came from an office there. I don't know if now the capacity to uh, you know measure these things in real time, to quantify these things in real time, I don't know if that exists anymore, because Israel is effectively putting Al-Shifa out of business. It'll no longer be a hospital when they're done with it. And of course, Israel claims, oh, there's these Hamas tunnels underneath, and that's why we're targeting them. Israel says, oh, they ran out of fuel. We tried to be nice and give them fuel, but Hamas stopped us from giving them fuel. But when you read the particulars of that story, apparently they were offering them 300 liters of fuel. And in order to keep the hospital running, you need between 6,000 and 10,000 liters per day. So honestly, it just seems like some sort of a PR face-saving move from Israel to claim, oh, yeah, we tried to give them we tried to give them fuel and they rejected it because they're being incredibly uh, ruthless and vicious and aggressive in going after Al-Shifa Hospital. Like I, I just showed you, what was it, 115 different um, medical facilities have been targeted? So here we go. Now we get to um, 
Netanyahu's national security minister, Itamar Ben-Gavir, who, by the way, has a history of being, and this is not hyperbole or exaggeration, a literal terrorist, if you go read about him. Um, he came out and said the following. Apparently it's in Hebrew, but quote, to be clear, when we say that Hamas should be destroyed, it also means those who celebrate, those who support, and those who hand out candy, they're all terrorists, and they should also be destroyed. For those of you who don't know, this is literally right in line with uh, what you would expect a guy like this to say. He's on team. There are no Palestinian civilians. They're all guilty enough. So we also have this interesting development. Um, the Arab League got together and the organization of like all the different Islamic states. They had basically an emergency meeting. And so uh, the Arab League divided over five important clauses that could not be adopted, causing merger of Arab League summit and organization of islamic cooperation summit the clauses that were endorsed by 11 states and rejected by four states so this is the stuff that they were debating and trying to organize around preventing the use of american and other military bases in arab countries to supply israel with weapons and ammunition so this is something that most of the states were in favor of four of them rejected it freezing arab diplomatic economic security and military relations with israel threatening to use oil and arab economic capabilities to pressure to stop the aggression Preventing Israeli civil aviation from flying in Arab airspace. Forming an Arab uh, ministerial committee that will travel immediately to New York, Washington, Brussels, Geneva, London, and Paris in order to convey the Arab summit's request to stop the Israeli aggression against Gaza. So here are the Arab countries that proposed and endorsed the plan. Uh, Palestinian territories, Syria, Algeria, Tunisia, Iraq, Lebanon, Kuwait, Qatar, Oman, Libya, Yemen. Uh the four countries that rejected it were not mentioned by name, but of course you can deduce, you know, uh, what, which countries they are. I guess it would be uh, Egypt, who, you know, has closer relations with Israel than most, and Saudi Arabia. And of course, they've been working on a peace deal recently, Saudi Arabia and Israel. But you have a tremendous agreement in the Arab world and the Muslim world in terms of trying to find a way to stop Israel from massacring Palestinian civilians. But you have the four countries that are basically uh, blocking that. But this was historic. You actually had the head of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, meet with the uh, president of Iran, Raisi. And this is the first time, I don't know, I don't think they've ever met before. And of course, relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran are notoriously hostile to each other. You have a Shia theocracy versus a Sunni theocracy. You have the Sunnis in Saudi Arabia backed by the U.S. government, whereas Iran is, of course, an enemy of the U.S. government. But you had them come together over this issue of Palestinian civilians being killed wantonly by the Israeli government. And so in a weird way, you're bringing together the Arab world and the Muslim world in a way we haven't seen before. And so while these things didn't pass, this is closer than they've been in a very, very long time. And you can see the picture here of all the different world leaders. I mean, this was kind of historic. So now we move on to this. Um, Netanyahu uh, being pretty clear in his, uh, in his words here where he's like, hey, man, bring it on. We'll go after Lebanon. We'll go after Syria. We'll, we'll, we'll go further, man. Listen to this. All Hamas 
operatives and terrorists must die. Our forces are acting above and beneath the ground, targeting them. We are going to continue full force. We are going to continue until victory. We are also well prepared in the northern front. We are using aggressive fire from the air and from the ground over there. Northern front is against Hezbollah in Lebanon. I have warned Hezbollah, don't make that mistake and enter the war, because it will be the mistake of your lives. If you decide to enter the war, that will decide the fate of Lebanon. And we, You have IDF officials who are posting like cryptic messages with pictures of Beirut, and it says, this is the next Gaza. So in other words, we're going to do to Beirut in Lebanon what we're doing to Gaza right now. It's, we're at a boiling point. We're also acting in other fronts. Every day we act against terrorism, against its proxies and activists, both in Lebanon, Syria and the Red Sea, in Jordan, Samaria and wherever we must. So we also have Hezbollah deploying their largest missiles in an attack on an IDF base. And then Israel retaliated to that. Um, Again, this goes to the tit for tat we were discussing earlier. I'm not going to play this video for you because it's absolutely gut-wrenching and I'm begging to not only get demonetized, but also maybe get the video pulled down if I show it for you. But uh, this is a video of Israeli soldiers torturing a Palestinian man. Um, He appears to be deaf and mute and he has special needs. And it is absolutely barbaric. Like I said, I I won't show it to you, but I just like I want to give you some sense of how brutal and barbaric what's going on actually is. I've been giving you a lot of facts and information, but I've avoided just playing the gruesome videos for you. Just wanted to let you know, um, you can see some of the most horrifying things you've ever seen in your life if you dive into the specifics of what's going on here. So, um, man, this is quite a passage. Almost all hospitals in the besieged Gaza Strip came under Israeli attacks and airstrikes in the last 24 hours, including Al-Shifa, which saw at least four rounds of Israeli airstrikes in the same period. There's a heartbreaking video floating around there's a doctor who had gone on Democracy Now! And he was telling Amy Goodman, like, look, this isn't about me. This isn't about saving my own life. You think I became a doctor to only look after my own interests? I care deeply about my patients, and I will not abandon them. So he went on Democracy Now! And since then, he has been killed in an Israeli airstrike. So, uh, Macron. Macron came out shocking everybody and called for a ceasefire. So uh, earlier today, Macron criticized the civilian deaths in Gaza, quote, these babies, these ladies, these old people are bombed and killed. And he ended up calling for a ceasefire. Netanyahu responded, quote, the crimes being committed today by Hamas, ISIS in Gaza will be committed tomorrow in Paris, New York and all over the world. The leaders of the world should be should be condemning Hamas, ISIS, not Israel. Hamas, ISIS is cruelly holding our people hostage, women, children, the elderly, and thus committing a crime against humanity. Hamas ISIS is using schools, mosques, and hospitals as terrorist command centers. The responsibility for any harm to civilians lies with Hamas ISIS and not with Israel. Guys, this is amazing to me because he's making the exact same argument that Hamas makes. When Hamas kills innocent Israeli civilians, they say, hey man, this is on Israel. When I, a group with agency, decides to target civilians on purpose, it's not on me. It's on Israel. Because Israel's doing the occupation, they're doing the apartheid, they're the oppressors, we're the oppressed. Therefore, blame them. And everybody rejects that when it comes to Hamas saying it. Because they say, no, you have agency and you chose to kill innocent civilians. But when you flip the script and you talk about Israel, all of a sudden they use the same argument and they think it's sound. 
So when we kill innocent civilians, no, blame Hamas. No, I'm sorry. The innocent civilians Hamas kills are on Hamas. The innocent civilians Israel kills, it's on Israel. Because even if you grant the human shield situation, you can't look at four Hamas members that you'll get with a bombing, but you murk 17 innocent people, including babies at the same time, and then press the button and pull the trigger. You can't do it because you are responsible for those innocent people dying. I told you, imagine this, this scenario domestically to, to, to realize how absurd the human shield argument is. Think about a school gets taken over by a gunman. They're holding somebody hostage, a gun to a kid's head, but the school is filled with 70 kids. Would the local police department send in a drone and bomb the entire school to the ground and kill the 70 innocent kids? They would never, never in a million years. But Israel does that when it comes to Palestinians. Why? Because we all know they don't really care about Palestinian civilians. They think they're guilty enough. Israeli president reveals discovery of Mein Kampf in Gaza children's room used by Hamas. So this, guys, Israel is not sending their best propagandists. I mean, some of the stuff they've put out is absolutely astonishing with how dumb and obviously fake it is. I'm not buying this for a second. They say um, that this, this copy of Mein Kampf in Arabic was found in a Hamas member's home in the kids' room. They, quote, wrote notes, marked the sections, and studied again and again Adolf Hitler's ideology of hating the Jews, killing the Jews, burning and slaughtering Jews wherever they are. I mean, you can't, like, what is there to even say about this? As if, first of all, I don't buy this for even a second, but as if the the reaction of killing 6,000 children is like, hey, we had to do what we had to do, bro. We had to act like Hitler because they were reading Hitler. What? <laughs> like, what are we talking? Okay, let's continue. This is a wild moment. So this is in uh, the uh, Florida State Legislature. Um... You have one person who's speaking who's going to be like, Jesus, how many of these uh, civilians is going to be enough for Israel to kill? And there's a reaction that will that is bone chilling. We are at 10,000 dead Palestinians. How many will be enough? I also, one of my colleagues just said all of them. Wow. I mean, people are being... What's interesting is you get much more direct um, commentary on this from the Israeli government. Many in the Israeli government, she's not, of course, this woman's not in the Israeli government, but many in the Israeli government are like, yeah, we're doing a Gaza Nakba. Yeah, they're all guilty. They're human animals. We're not trying to be specific. We're trying to do damage. We've seen all these seats. There, you know, there are no Palestinian civilians. They voted for Hamas, so they're guilty even though 50% of Gaza are children, they weren't even alive when the election happened in 2006. And even if they were, it's, it still doesn't justify. But this is the stuff they're saying. And in the US, you have Joe Biden and the administration. Oftentimes, they try to put the veneer of, oh, acting humanitarianly as they bomb over it. Whereas others are being very direct and straightforward. And this woman, I think she's expressing a sentiment that's actually widespread among many Zionists in the conversation. All right, here we go. Amid the horrors of the war in Gaza, some Palestinians openly turn on Hamas. 
So this is in AP News. Over the past few nights in, nights in Gaza, in Gaza City, Hamas rockets streaming overhead toward Israel have prompted outbursts of rage from a UN shelter in the middle of the night. Hundreds of people have shouted insults against Hamas and cried out that they wanted the, the war to end. According to a 28-year-old sleeping in a tent there with his family, and during a televised press conference Tuesday, a young man with a dazed expression and bandaged wrist pushed his way through the crowd, disrupting a speech by Iyad Bozum, spokesman for the Hamas-run Interior Ministry. May God hold you to account, Hamas, the man yelled, shaking his wounded hand. Look, I, I often say on this show that um, far-right extremism breeds far-right extremism. So the more the far-right in Israel is in control, the more it'll lead to an iron grip of control of Hamas, and vice versa. The more uh, you know, Hamas is in control, the more you're going to have parties like Likud in Israel uh, maintain control. Because it's like, if you can scare people, if you could instill fe- fear in them, then they're going to say, we need security, we need protection. They're going to look to their uh, hardliners and badasses to, to keep them safe. But every now and then, you have people who can sort of uh, break the cycle of violence and realize that, look, Hamas doing a terror attack against innocent civilians in, in Israel, like, of course that was going to lead to Israel doing what they usually do, which is going way over the top and killing even more Palestinian civilians. And so this is somebody who realizes you're not helping. You're actually really hurting. You're actually making everything way, way worse. And so you're going to see the two different reactions. Basically, the status quo is the only thing that, you know, there is no middle of the road amidst extremism. It's like you're either going to cut in a more far right direction or you're going to go in a more far left direction and say we need change in the sense that we need to embrace a peace process. It's either, hey, we need a peace process or, hey, we need more hardliners and badasses who will fight their bad guys and protect us. And this is somebody who can see through it. And by the way, there are many people in Israel proper who are protesting Netanyahu, uh, protesting Itamar Ben-Gavir, uh, protesting the far right, the, the illegal settlers, and saying, look, we got to stop this. We're doing a massacre of innocent people. And God bless those people, especially because they're, the Israeli state is cracking down on them relentlessly. I think we have some more stuff on that in a little bit, where people who just express uh, concern for Palestinian civilians. People who say, like, you know, there was one person who posted, like, you know, I cry a tear for Gaza or something like that, and the cops arrested them. So it's it's a hysterical, manic situation, and some people have their heads screwed on straight, and I, I feel for all of them. Al-Arabia reports that Indonesia's top Islamic clerical body has issued a fatwa for the boycott of goods and services from companies that support Israel. So uh, Indonesia, I believe, is the most uh, populous Muslim state in the world, and they're calling for this. This is wild, man. The propaganda is, like, astonishingly stupid. Here we have somebody from Breitbart. <laughs> Breitbart's not sending their best, who says, Scoop, Israel prepares for possible fentanyl-filled rockets from Hamas and Hezbollah. If you believed this upon reading it, I seriously question your intelligence. I mean, I'm not trying to be an asshole, but if you read this and thought that sounded plausible, you are, like, helplessly stupid. So, as you can see here, uh, Community Notes had a field day. Misleading. There is no known mechanism for uh, distributing fentanyl via rocket that wouldn't instantly vaporize and destroy it. 
As chemical weapons are dispersed via explosive, ergo, the preparations do not indicate an actual threat slash capability by anyone. Yeah, no shit. Jesus Christ, man. So this is, uh, Katie Halper tweeted this out here. This is amazing. This is a lot of the genocidal statements made by Israeli officials put back to back to back to back to back. And uh, it's really eye-opening. Watch this. So that's when uh, he said, remember what Amalek did to you. And apparently in the Bible verse on Amalek, they talk about uh, killing everybody, man and woman, infant and suckling ox and sheep. So comparing Palestinians to Amalek and the logical conclusion of that is kill them all. It's an entire nation out there that is responsible. It's not true. This rhetoric about civilians not aware, not, aware, not involved, it's absolutely not true. This is the, we're, we're fighting human animals and we're going to totally do a siege, cut off food, fuel, water. That's what this guy's saying. Very puzzled by the constant uh, concern which the world is showing for the Palestinian people and is actually showing for these horrible, inhuman animals who have done the worst atrocities that this century has seen. Gaza won't return to what it was before. We will eliminate everything, that guy said. Human beasts are dealt with accordingly. This guy said, I do not equate them to animals because that is an insult to animals, talking about Palestinians. So this guy who's talking is this like 95-year-old guy who I think uh, took part in the original Nakba, where he was involved in, um, you know, terrorist attacks against Palestinians. He kind of went viral in the wake of October 7th because people were like, look, it's so wholesome. This guy wants to stand up to Hamas. But what they didn't realize is that this guy is flat out genocidal. And so here he's saying, finish them off quickly and leave no memory of them. Erase them, their families, mothers and children. These animals can no longer live. He's saying, if you have an Arab neighbor, don't wait for him to come into your house. Enter his house and shoot. Creating a severe humanitarian crisis in Gaza is a necessary means to achieve the goal. Gaza will become a place where no human being can exist. That guy basically said, look, we told them to go south, so anybody who remains north is considered a terrorist. This person says, uh, this is a Israeli Knesset member and former information minister, invest this energy in one thing, erasing all of Gaza from the face of the earth. The Gazan monsters will fly to the southern fence and try to enter the Egyptian territory. I missed the rest of that. And, and they will die. Or they will die. Gaza should be erased. 
is the far-right minister who floated nuking Gaza. There's another um, Israeli politician who said we should use, quote, doomsday weapons against Gaza. That's, you know, another way of saying nukes. Israeli official calls for doomsday nuclear missile option. Annihilate Gaza now, this man is screaming. Gaza needs to turn into Dresden. All right, I think you guys get the gist of it. And understand something, these people who are talking here are the ones with all of the power. So there's also been a tremendous amount of misinformation. I want to show you this one here. Shout out to this guy who's done some great work. He, he's a journalist at BBC Verify. His name is uh, Cheyenne Sardarzadeh. And he says the following. The official State of Israel account says this video is proof of a Hamas gunman inside Gaza's Indonesian hospital immediately after a blast. In the higher res version of this of the clip, the object appears to be a baton, not a gun. So in other words, they're like, look, we, we're going to attack this hospital. We got to attack this hospital. Hamas is in there with guns. Look at this. And they show this. But then when you zoom in higher resolution, what you'll see is it's a baton. It's not a gun. Again, the propagandists are barely freaking trying at all. So there's another one here. Um, this image viewed over a million times claims to show Israel drop white phosphorus bombs near Gaza's Al-Shifa hospital tonight. The image is from 2017 and shows airstrikes by the U.S.-led coalition against the Islamic State in Raqqa, Syria. There's another one that uh, spread far and wide. The claim that Israel burned their own citizens with Apache helicopters is totally unsubstantiated. It comes from a viral video shared with false claims yesterday that has since been debunked. There's an extensive... There's extensive visual evidence of Hamas killing Israeli civilians on October 7th. So this is when people try to say, actually, everybody who was killed at that concert, it's when they were fleeing and Israel killed all the civilians. But that's factually not true. Then we have this. This video viewed over 7 million times claims to show a nurse at Gaza's Al-Shifa hospital speak out against Hamas. The woman in the video doesn't appear to have an accent from Gaza. The sound of explosions seem fake. And real staff at Al-Shifa don't seem to know her. So again, this is like, these people aren't even trying. So this person tweeted, Nurse in Shifa Hospital speaking out against Hamas. The people of Hamas who attacked the hospital are stealing the fuel and the medicine. And um, it's just not true. She doesn't have the right accent. The people who work there don't know who she is. It's just horrendous wartime propaganda. Here's another one, more of the, the Pallywood conspiracy. The Israeli PM spokesperson to the Arab world falsely claims this video shows Palestinian civilians fake injuries using the term Pallywood. It's behind-the-scenes footage of a Lebanese short film about Palestinians called The Reality, as stated by the film's director. So people are sharing this and saying, look, they're, all, they're faking all of their injuries uh, and stuff in Gaza because they're trying to make it seem worse than it is. But they're using clips from a, a Lebanon movie on Gaza to make that claim. I mean, this is... Like, you can't help but think these people are lying on purpose. So Netanyahu's uh, spokesman has not deleted the debunked false claim and is, it has 24 million views. And the BBC fact check on it has only has less than 1 million views. So the misinformation stays up and keeps spreading. And the correction is very few people see the correction. It's just it's unbelievable. This is from Kenneth Roth, the former head of Human Rights Watch. Among Israel's 146 criminal investigations since October 7th for speech offenses, a man posted on Instagram, the eye weeps for the residents of Gaza. 40 minutes later, 20 po police officers came to his house to arrest him for supporting a terrorist organization. 
Jesus Christ. This is what I'm talking about. Full authoritarian crackdown. You cannot dissent. If you express concern for Palestinian civilians, they basically say, you're with Hamas, and they throw you in a cage. So this was very eye-opening to a lot of people. Okay? The New Yorker had an interview with uh, an illegal Israeli settler in the West Bank. And it's like, you know, enlightenment moment for people. Oh my God, these people are psychos and they're not interested in peace. So here you go. Look at this. I'll just give you some of this. You said settlement, settlement is the way to return to Zion. Yes, this is the person answering. It's the end of the dispersion and the beginning of the revival of the Jewish nation in this homeland. What are the borders of that Jewish nation? The New Yorker asks. The borders of the homeland of the Jews are the Euphrates in the east and the Nile in the south. So, just so everybody understands, this would include the territory of multiple Middle Eastern countries as well as the territory that Israel controls today. So, in other words, wipe out the Palestinians, there's no more Gaza, the West Bank is no more, get the Palestinians out of there, parts of Lebanon, I believe even parts of Syria. This is what they say, this is our goal. Palestinians sometimes use the slogan from the river to the sea, but what you're saying is that from the river to the Nile is the Jewish homeland, correct? This settler says, of course, if someone decides to invent a new religion today, who will decide the rules? The first nation that got the word from God, the promise from God, the first nation is the one who has the right to it. The others that follow Christianity and Islam with their demands, with their perceptions, they're imitating what existed already. So why in Israel? They could be anywhere in the world. They came after us in the double sense of the word. So in other words, like, look, I haven't. Forget the Christians, forget the Muslims. This is this is Jewish holy land, and we have a divine right to all of it. So look, go read the entire piece in the New Yorker. It's really eye-opening. Um, these people are psychopaths. They're psychopaths. And they have zero concern for human rights or civilians or property rights of Palestinians who've lived on this land for generations. Just get them out of here, get them out of here, get them, get them out of here. God wants us to have this. This is wild, man. You want to talk about horrendous misinformation? This is Fox News. And they do th they do this thing, Hamas billionaires, lifestyles of the rich and famous. And, you know, look, it's true that Hamas leaders are in Qatar. Which, by the way, well, hold on now. Why is Israel not paying off the Qatari government and go taking out Hamas over there? Bring them to the International Criminal Court or go assassinate them there and leave the innocent people in Gaza alone, right? So right off the bat, it's like, okay, if you acknowledge you're in Qatar, why is this not a totally different war? Why is it not special forces being like, so right off the bat, it's like people acknowledge that, but then they don't follow it through to its logical conclusion that all the bombing in Gaza should not be happening. Okay. But they, they're doing this propaganda of like, oh yeah, look, the Hamas, Hamas are billionaires and they're living this life of luxury and they're terrorists and all that. They are using a AI generated fake picture, which we showed you guys before. And now if I try to zoom in here. What's going on with homie's mouth over here? What's this? If I zoom into this guy's face too, this guy's like eyes are super freaking weird. This is an AI generated fake picture and it was an Israeli government official who first came up with it and everybody immediately said, this is all AI generated. Use multiple AI generated pictures to try to say, Hamas, living a life of luxury, bro. And Fox News is still running with it weeks after these pictures have been debunked. Why? Because when it's an official enemy, the specifics and the details and the facts don't matter. They throw facts out. You could make any claim you want about North Korea, for example. They'll just run with it. Why? Hey, they're an official baddie enemy state. So you can say whatever you want about them, and we'll say it's true, and we'll, and we'll run with it. 
if it's somebody who's an ally of ours, they never allow you to say anything negative about them. It's, it's like sanitize the language, make it seem more reasonable than it is, whatever they're doing. And this just shows you there are no standards. Look, facts have to come first. I'm just an asshole YouTuber, and I try my best to put facts first. They threw facts out the window. They had to know that this was a totally bogus AI-generated picture, and they ran with it anyway. Uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. So at the same time, all that stuff I just walked you through, this is what CNN is doing. Criticism of Israeli policy is not anti-Semitism. But when you question the right of Jews to a national identity, when you question the existence of a Jewish state, you move beyond the political. So this is from a special called Anti-Semitism in America that airs Sunday at 9. So as you still have the, the death toll of Palestinian innocent civilians skyrocketing, 6,000 kids dead, 12,000 innocent civilians dead, more than half of Gaza totally destroyed and leveled. They're running a special on anti-Semitism in America. As the Israeli government is massacring civilians left and right, the media is failing miserably on this front. Miserably. And then we'll end with this one here. Congress appears likely to exclude Biden's request for money for humanitarian aid, as many in the GOP strongly object to funding the, uh, the UN, the single most important humanitarian org in Gaza, currently aiding millions. So all of those facts I just gave you, Congress looks at that and goes, don't care. Support it. I support it. I support Israel. Because what's the democratic position? The democratic position is bomb nicer, bomb more humanitarianly. Do a little pause. Then you can keep bombing, but send in some food, send in some water. Try to limit the civilian casualties. If, if you don't, I won't stop you. But please try, pretty please. That's the Democratic position. What's the Republican position? I'm pro-genocide. Keep doing the bombing. Don't pause. And don't send in any aid. So what, you want two million people to starve to death? You want them to not get enough water and to die that way? Is this what you want? Look, they're telling you they're against the humanitarian aid. That is wild, man. So we have the positions are do a nicer genocide and do the harshest genocide possible. Those are the, that's the spectrum in Washington, D.C. With the exception, shout out to all, very proud of the Justice Democrats on this one. They've been calling for a ceasefire for a long time now. What is it, 15 or 20 different Congress people? Most of them Justice Democrats have been called for, shout out to them. I've never been more proud of them. But everybody else, absolutely psycho. Absolutely psycho. So all those updates I just gave you, Congress looks at it and goes, who cares? I'm in favor. I'm in favor of this death and destruction, and I'd like to make it worse. It's astonishing. So we're witnessing something here, which is honestly pretty astonishing. It is the most forthright assault on the First Amendment that I've seen in modern American history. Uh, there's a lot of people on the right who've been saying for a long time, hey, the left is really censorious and they don't want free speech and there's ample evidence of this. And usually the examples they give is you have some conservative speaker who goes to a college campus and some lefties uh, 
try to get them kicked off and not allowed to speak. And look, oftentimes it works and, you know, you get these events canceled. And in those instances, I'll be clear, I don't agree with the the lefties who say, you're not allowed to have an Ann Coulter speech or you're not allowed to have a Ben Shapiro speech. By all means, I think they should have, uh, you know, the right to speak in those instances. Now, it is separate, though, from a First Amendment issue, right? Because technically the school could decide whoever they want to allow to speak and who they don't want to allow to speak. And so it's not actually a First Amendment issue. But I agree that it's the spirit of free speech and an open exchange of ideas. Like the spirit is in question there. And I'm almost always going to side with more speech. Now, having said that, all these this crying and whining and bitching and moaning from the right for the past five years about how the left is so censorious and they're so against free speech. Well, here we're now facing an actual assault on the First Amendment and free speech and freedom to protest, and the right is crickets. In fact, the people who led the crusade for free speech previously are now cheering on the censorship and the crackdown. Namely, people like Ben Shapiro, who hasn't said a word about this. Dave Rubin, who has said a word about this. And he comes out and openly supports cracking down on free speech when he disagrees with the issue. So let me walk you through this. Look at this, guys. Columbia University is suspending Students for Justice in Palestine and Jewish Voice for Peace as official student groups through the end of the fall term. So they're disbanding pro-Palestine groups on college campuses. So I'll give you more specifics on it. This is from directly from Columbia News. Columbia University is suspending Students for Justice in Palestine and Jewish Voice for Peace as official student groups through the end of the fall term. This decision was made after the two groups repeatedly violated university policies related to holding campus events, culminating in an unauthorized event Thursday afternoon that proceeded despite warnings and included threatening rhetoric and intimidation. Okay, so first of all, I would like to know the specifics on this, which they don't bring up. What, what are, what's the threatening rhetoric and what's the intimidation that we're talking about? That's the first point. Second point is the argument of, hey, we warned you not to have this assembly. That's not very convincing to me because that's just you saying, I don't want you to exercise your free speech. I don't want you to have a protest that we don't agree with or we don't want for whatever reason. That would be against the spirit of the First Amendment, against the spirit of free speech and freedom to protest and an open exchange of ideas. So, but now let's go a step further. Even if they could cite, hey, there's some threatening rhetoric or intimidation here or there. As long as it's not in violation of the First Amendment. So in other words, as long as it's not a direct call to violence or defamation or something of that nature, it's still allowed. Remember, the Supreme Court ruled in the Skokie case that literal neo-Nazis were allowed to march through a predominantly Jewish crowd as long as they were peaceful. So this right literally extends to people as extreme as Nazis. And in this instance, they're saying Jewish voice for peace and students for justice in Palestine, what, they're more extreme than Nazis? Get out of here. My guess is they're saying the threatening rhetoric and intimidation is when some people say, um, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. There's been this massive effort on the right to, and uh, among hardcore Israel supporters to say, hey, anybody who argues that is saying they want to genocide the Jews or kill all the Israelis. And then they fall back on or uh, wipe out the state of Israel 
Now, now, when you hear that, oh, we're going to wipe Israel off the map. When you hear that, what do you think? You immediately think, oh, do they want to do a genocide? They want to kill all the Jews? Do they want to kill all the Israelis? That's what you think. But there are plenty of people who are part of this group and groups like it who, when they say from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, what they mean is we want one state in the region with democratic rights for all, including Israelis and Palestinians, Jews and Muslims, one secular democracy with equal rights for all. That's what they mean when they say that. Now, look, you don't have to agree with that perspective. You could disagree on how you fix the Israel-Palestine situation. You could disagree on that. But to just smear everybody who says from the river to the sea as if they're all Hamas or Hamas supporters is incredibly disingenuous, and they know that. And they know that. Yes, it is true that when somebody in Hamas says from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, they do mean wipe Israel off the map, and many of them probably do mean expel them all or kill them all. I'm sure. But some 19-year-old college kid with a septum ring and purple hair is not a Hamas militant. And you can ask them what they mean when they say it. And in almost all the cases, I assure you, they will say, we just mean we want a free Palestine. We just mean we want one democratic state for all. Some people will say, call it Israel. Some people will say, call it Palestine. Some people will say, make it binational and call it Israel-Palestine. But these are people who want one democratic state with equal rights and voting rights for all. The idea that that's beyond the pale or unacceptable or hate-filled rhetoric is just totally bogus. It's just bogus. So then they go on in this letter to virtue signal, like, bro, we're actually totally in favor of like free speech and open debate and stuff. Really? Well, you're doing the exact opposite here by disbanding these groups. So look, I want to remind you of something. As they're cracking down on these pro-Palestine groups, think about what's going on at the moment. just want to remind you all, this is where we're at with Israel's assault on Gaza. We have 14,000 people killed, including almost 13,000 civilians and nearly 6,000 children. Israel's killed 47 journalists. They damaged 66 mosques. They bombed churches, three churches. There's 192 doctors and nurses who've been killed by the Israeli bombing. Over half of Gaza is destroyed. It's indiscriminate bombing. So at a time like this, you absolutely need pro-Palestinian voices having the ability to express their disapproval. To put pressure on politicians, for example. Like, this is what you need. And they're shutting it all down. They're saying, no, you're saying threatening things, you're making us feel unsafe. Oh, you need a safe space, is that what you need? So in other words, the hardcore Israel supporters and the right have now become the snowflakes who are begging for a safe space. So with these facts on the ground, and they're saying pro-Palestinian groups have to be suspended, think about how insane that is. That's like disbanding anti-Vietnam War groups during the height of the Vietnam War. That's like disbanding anti-Iraq War groups during the height of the Iraq War. It's totally unacceptable. All right, so now, look at what else we got here. This is another great example of how insane we've gotten. We're in a a moment of hysteria and mania. A 13-year-old kid in Orange County, California, was called a terrorist by a classmate. He responded with, quote, free Palestine and was suspended for three days. Uh, The school administration expressed to my nephew that the words free Palestine meant death to all Jews and should never be said. Look, they they just have to straw man in order to make the case that this rhetoric is unacceptable. So first they object to from the river to the sea. 
And now you have people even objecting to saying free Palestine. Free Palestine could mean a two-state solution. It doesn't even have to mean a one-state democratic solution for all. It could mean let's have an Israel and a Palestine. But according to them, free Palestine means you want to genocide all the Jews, so we're going to suspend you. This is an all-out war on free speech. Look, I don't even care what you think about the issue. You could be a staunch pro-Israel advocate and look at this and say, this is unacceptable. We've gone way too far. And look, to be clear, this is an escalation of previous policies that we've seen on this exact issue. That's what it is. So now you have pro-Palestine groups on college campuses. There's an assault on them. There's a war on them. They're trying to disband them and suspend them. By the way, Colombia is not the only one that's doing this. Others are doing it as well. So don't say you believe in free speech if you don't believe in it for this group, for these groups. Now people are saying free Palestine is genocidal. And finally, I want to give you, just to give you the backstory as to how we got here, there's always been, on this one issue, there's always been weird exceptions among our politicians. Hey, you can say anything, but don't do that. Don't say that. Look at this. This is from Human Rights Watch. States use anti-boycott laws to punish responsible businesses. Laws penalize companies that cut ties with Israeli settlements. You want to know how bad it was leading into what just happened? Many United States states are using anti-boycott laws and executive orders to punish companies that refuse to do business with illegal Israeli settlements in the West Bank, Human Rights Watch said today. More than 250 million Americans, some 78% of the population, live in states with anti-boycott laws or policies. 27 states, the majority of states, have adopted laws or policies that penalize businesses, organizations, or individuals that engage in or call for boycotts against Israel. The laws or policies in 17 of those states explicitly target not only companies that refuse to do business in or with Israel, but also those that refuse to do business in Israeli settlements on the illegally occupied territories. Some states whose laws do not explicitly apply to settlements have also penalized companies that cut settlement ties. So in a majority of U.S. states, there are anti-BDS laws. So BDS, Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions, is a way to try to pressure Israel to give Palestinians human rights through economic pressure. So it's a more peaceful method than some sort of violent resistance. That's what it is. And in a majority of states, they crack down on people who do this. So for example, I think there was a law, I think it was in Houston, where they said in order to get hurricane relief money, I think it was from Hurricane Harvey, uh, you need to promise not to boycott Israel. You need to sign something that states you will not boycott Israel. I mean, that's just one of the more absurd examples. But there are many, many examples of similar things. So think about it. In the United States of America, you could literally call for a boycott of the United States of America, and it's totally legal and fine. You could call for a boycott of another state within the country, totally legal and fine. You can call for a boycott of Saudi Arabia. You can call for a boycott of Britain. But if you call for a boycott of Israel, there could be legal penalties associated with it. You don't have the free speech rights to do that without attempts to withhold various government subsidies and money from you that other people would have access to. So this is what it was like leading into this situation. And now you're seeing where this ramp up came from. Now you're seeing they already have the groundwork for anti-free speech policies as it pertains to Israel. Now they're saying students for justice in Palestine, Jewish voice for peace. By the way, if why can't we play the identity game now and flip it on you and say, you want to ban Jewish voice for peace? Are you anti-Semitic? Is Colombia anti-Semitic for doing this? Are all the states that are cracking down on the pro-Palestinian groups led by Jews, are they all anti-Semitic? 
You guys are acting pretty anti-Semitic. You're banning Jewish groups on campuses. That seems pretty goddamn anti-Semitic to me. We could all play that game. I'd rather just stick to the details and the facts and the reality that this country has a First Amendment. It has free speech. It has freedom to protest. You can say what you want. You can do, do what you want as long as you're not hurting anybody else. Nobody's hurting anybody here, but they're cracking down. This is an all-out war on pro-Palestine free speech, and it is super obvious, and everybody needs to stand against it. And all these right-wing charlatans who cloak themselves and we're the biggest believers in free speech, every single one of them that doesn't speak on this are shameless, shameless frauds. So Jank Uger has been going on Piers Morgan's show and uh, debating various people on the issue of Israel and Palestine. And Piers decided, let me have uh, massive fireworks and burning hatred because I'm going to invite Rabbi Shmuley and Jank Uger to discuss the issue. So this went about as well as you would expect. And um, it's a wild segment, man. So let's dive into it and we'll break it down. Calling for a ceasefire. Uh, Queen Rania of Jordan, Angelina Jolie, uh, Arab leaders, and so on. Uh, I presume you would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that they've murdered enough Palestinian civilians. Uh, and even Netanyahu in an interview with ABC News said, now that we're on the ground, we're finally pressuring Hamas on hostages. Oh, so the 7,000 bombs you dropped were totally useless and collective punishment and your attempt to murder civilians on purpose as some sort of sick vengeance. So please stop the murders. Cease fire right now. Now... He's coming in hot there, but he's also right. Like, at this point, if you think if Israel's not killing civilians on purpose, I have a bridge to sell you. When you have the low number given by the UN is a 74% civilian death rate. Euromed Monitor, a different human rights group, has it over 90% civilian death rate. When you've killed nearly 6,000 children and you've destroyed 50% or over 50% of Gaza... When you've bombed, Jesus, I don't even remember the number of hospitals. It's over 100 hospitals. Yeah, it's kind of hard to buy. You're like, bro, just Hamas. They think just saying the word Hamas is a get-out-of-jail-free card for any sort of crimes they want to commit. But Shmuley is not going to hold back. But Shmuley, your response? Uh, Cenk is polling in the Democratic presidential primaries at 0% nothing. He has all a right, so first of all, I have seen a poll where he's at like three or four percent. Um, was it two? It was between two and four percent. Neither here nor there, right? He just launched his campaign. Also, there's a question as to whether or not he can actually run. There is going to have to be court cases over it because he's not a natural born citizen. He's a naturalized citizen. But that's neither here nor there. He's not addressing the substance. Likelihood of being elected the new king of France. And no, don't interrupt me, please. And the reason is that the American people are decent. They understand that Cenk's anti-Semitism, which he has voiced on your show repeatedly, calling Jews genocide dares. And this is the eve of Kristallnacht, the 85th anniversary of the start of the Holocaust. Shit. He would deny. Look, you, you might have criticisms of how Cenk entered the debate here or whatever, but like. He's just immediately like anti-Semite. Like he is doing the caricature of the hardcore far-right Israeli supporter who doesn't want to engage in the substance and just screams that you hate all Jews. I mean, this is embarrassing. This is embarrassing. Jewish people, the only dignity left to us that we were victims of genocide, and he would say that we are the Nazis, we are the Gestapo, for simply wanting to I defend ourselves any of that. against the brutality and the savagery of Hamas. Cenk, 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 Cenk. 
check. You'll have your turn. Just show some decency. If you're not going to show it to my people, show it to me and show it to the viewers of the show. Stop. But who is surprised that a man who is surprised that a man whose whose name, the name of whose podcast is Young Turks, who perpetrated the Armenian genocide. The Young Turks is like calling your podcast the Young Nazis, the Young Gestapo. They killed one and a half to two million Armenians between 1915 and 1918. The Armenian. Literally none of this is on topic. He's just trying to make the argument. Jenk supports genocide of the Jews, and he supports it of the Armenians, and he just loves genocide because he's just a genocidal guy. This is the argument he's trying to make. None of it on the actual topic of the debate or the substance. The community has begged Jenk to change the name of the show. For the first half of his life, he was a complete Are Armenian genocide denier. Are now, you going to discuss now, the now, issue? Now, now, now he is a Holocaust denier because he is saying that the Jews Nonsense. are engaged Total in utter- a- he just said he denies the Holocaust now, too. That Jank Uger doesn't believe that the, hol- what, the Holocaust happened? He doesn't think it happened? The Holocaust against the Jews? He's just shamelessly making everything up here. Right? This is just all made up. They're totally made up. Right. Side of the can Palestinians. you stop now, this liar? Which nation? Wh- how right. can there be no, no. 1.8 million Rabbi Muslim you- Arab citizens? Rabbi Shroomi, in- okay. I'm going to go to, go to Jank. You, you said some very strong things about Jank. You can now yeah. respond to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, you should never have this guy on air. Everything he said is a lie. I don't deny the Holocaust. That's insanity. And in terms of the Armenian genocide, uh, there is a powerful analogy there. Why was it a genocide? And yes, it was a genocide. Why? Because they moved and displaced so many people and killed civilians on the way. What is Israel doing? Moving and displacing millions of people and killing innocent civilians. It is the exact definition of a genocide. So I don't, I, I think the Jewish people are an amazing people and their, their culture is beautiful. And I don't tolerate any anti Semitism. But I think that the occupation is decaying the moral core of Israel. How long are you going to oppress these people? But Jen, and I know this guy, all he wants to do is an ad hominem attack. He's a liar. He's, and you can tell exactly what kind of indecent human being he is. But the main reason he's doing it is to avoid the topic. When are you going to stop murdering Palestinians and cheerleading it? Okay. If you're talking about genocide, Jen, you're the one right may, now may I, doing may the genocide. May I, may I respond? May I respond? <laughs> yes, Go ahead, may I respond. Lies. Go ahead. You know, I've spent, I've spent my life debating people. Whenever someone, whenever someone starts using personal names and screaming like a lunatic, they're losing the debate. Let me remain You're factual. You're the one First who used, made up Palestinians, things. The Palestinians, <laughs> the Palestinians, the, uh, the Palestinians <laughs> were offered a state in 1936 in the Peel Commission. They rejected it. They were offered a state in 1947 in the UN Partition Plan. They rejected it. They were offered a state in 1967 after Israel conquered Judea and Samaria and the West Bank. They rejected it. They were offered a state in 2000, Yasser Arafat, Ehud Barak. They rejected it. They were offered a state with Ehud Omer 2008. Okay. They rejected it. This is all incredibly reductive. So first of all, the details in all of those cases matter. Yes, many of them, the Palestinians walked away from. The Israelis walked away from a bunch of them too, right? And Netanyahu came in and he was sort of opposed to the peace process that was going on before him. It's a, that, the details of that are complex. It's complicated. Go watch the PBS Frontline documentary on it. I think they do a phenomenal job really showing how close at certain points we were to actually getting peace and actually having a two-state solution. But what he's not mentioning, of course, is there were literally hundreds of peace proposals through the UN blocked by Israel. So even if you want to take his reductive view that the Palestinians are to blame for all of the, the peace deals that fell apart when they were negotiating one-on-one, even if you want to accept that reductive claim, for argument's sake, let's accept it. What about the hundreds of peace proposals that happened at the UN where Israel opposed all of them? All of them. Got nothing to say about that, does he? No, he's trying to do the reductive, like, oh, we're so pure good in every single way. Gosh, golly. Israel has never done anything wrong, Papa. 
and the Palestinians are all savage Hamas terrorist murderers. They have the Israel unilaterally withdrew from Gaza in 2005. Oh, and they <laughs> this is such I hate it when people make this claim because like any sort of further investigation or curiosity where you look deeper into it, it shows right away. It's the dumbest. Like, you'll hear this all the time from Israeli supporters, far-right Israeli supporters, usually. Sometimes even some, like, liberal Zionists will make this claim that, bro, we stopped the occupation in 2005 in Gaza. We stopped the occupation, and what happened? We stopped the occupation, and Hamas came to power, and so it's all on them, bro. They, quote-unquote, stopped the occupation, yet they still control all of the borders, except one which Egypt controls. They still keep them basically on military lockdown. They have no rights. Uh, they can cut off the electricity, the food, the fuel, the water, like this, on a whim, instantly. That's why people call it an open-air prison. So look, if you want to be very technical about it and say, hey, they stopped the occupation, but then it moved to being a full blockade, okay, we can be very technical and say that, but colloquially describing it as a continued occupation is not at all incorrect. And this, it's just, it's just, it's so dishonest. He's using all the Hasbara talking points. It's pathetic. Not create a state. In fact, where were you, Cenk, when you say that you care about Palestinian children, when Hamas stole the highest rate of per capita international foreign aid, larger than the Marshall Plan, from Palestinian children, did not build schools for them, did not build hospitals, took all the money to buy bombs and to build a network of tunnels, which is- He thinks like, he thinks this is a massive gotcha, but Cenk has been- Viciously critical of Hamas every step of the way. So there's a, a what? What about Hamas being bad? Okay, <laughs> like agreed. Next, it's just so dumb. Than the, than the New York subway system. Where were you then? Why are, did you only come up now? In fact, when Bashar al-Assad killed 600,000 children, Arab children, when he gassed them with mustard gas, my organization took out full-page New York Times ads to protect them from sarin gas. Where were you then? You don't uh, care about our the reason he goes after Bashar al-Assad is because that's an enemy of the Israeli government and they would like a more friendly regime in Syria. And also, if you believe like the biblical notions, Israel proper includes parts of Syria. So that's what that's his interest in Syria. It's not, a, I am principally opposed to the to the death and destruction that Assad is bringing on, you know, the Syrian civilians. He, he doesn't care about that at all. Oh, God, this guy is such a fraud. You are a Jew hater, defined as someone <laughs> who- Come on, man. He was just saying, if you have to resort to ad hominem attacks, you're losing the debate. And he's like, Jew hater, Jew hater. Only Shut wants to up. lie and say that the Jews <laughs> are genocidaires. And racist. don't try to cancel me and say that I shouldn't be on. Uh, you're not a producer of this show. This is my first area of disagreement with Jenk a little bit. I don't think the way to counter his insanity is to start screaming bigot and racist at him. Because Jenk has the tools to deconstruct everything he said there. Now, it'll probably be hard to get it all out without this asshole interrupting you. But I think going right to just screaming bigot and racist, people are now going to look at this and be like, well, they're both being immature and childish. Are ignorant of the facts and ignorant of the history does not mean that you can cancel uh, Jen, my voice. Jenk, your response. Much. Okay, so first of all, you this guy is a full-blown bigot. He's one of the most racist people I have ever seen, does not value Palestinian lives at all. And everything he said about me is 100% untrue. I was vicious in my criticism of Bashar al-Assad. I've criticized Hamas over and over again, and I think what they did- On the Assad point, he's actually right that he was one of the voices on the Young Turks that was very, he was just very anti-Bashar al-Assad, when I actually thought overall it was much more complicated because the, the leading- uh, rebels that were fighting Assad as the war went on, it became Al-Nusra Front was the name of one of the groups, and others that were just outwardly jihadist groups. 
So it became like, you could say early on in the war, perhaps there were quote unquote moderate rebels made up of regular Syrians who just wanted a more uh, a democratic government, whereas Bashar al-Assad was a dictator. That's fair to claim early on. But then when U.S. funds and weapons started going in there, we propped up the worst possible insurgent jihadist groups. And then it became the Syrian government versus like jihadists. And at that point, I thought, okay, well, it's too reductive to just say like, Assad is bad and wrong and the rebels are good and pure and right. And there were many on the left who went with that line and that argument. And I thought that was far too reductive and it missed a hell of a lot of the nuance of the situation. But he was one of the toughest on the left against Bashar Assad. And yet this guy's bringing up Assad like, where were you when Assad was? Well, he was yelling at Assad when when you were criticizing Assad. ...against Israel was reprehensible. But for God's sake, how long are you going to occupy these people? For me, the idea of Israelis and Palestinians or Muslims or Jews being different is absurd. Those are just stupid labels that we put on people. They're all human beings. I value the Israeli life just as much as I value the Palestinian life. We're all human. Stop using these nonsense Jake, labels Jake, let me ask to you a kill question. each other. Jake, and me, all this guy wants to do is more murder of Palestinians. Jake, let me ask when you are you a, going to let them go? Jake, let me ask you a question. You mentioned genocide there. What Hamas is actually in its charter dedicated to doing is the purest oh, personification well. of genocide. Well, it is. They want to see the eradication yeah. of Israel, and they proved on October the 7th they will kill as many Jews as they can possibly get their hands on. So that is pure genocide. What Israel yeah. is doing in return, I don't think meets the category of genocide. I right? Because they don't oh, want to get rid- Okay. All right. Look, <sighs> let's just look at the facts. Let's just look at the numbers. Okay. This is very straightforward. Originally, we were told 1,400 Israelis were killed. Turns out later on that was revised down, according to some sources, to 1,200. Okay. When you look at the numbers, Israel released the names of the people who were killed. About 55% of those killed were military targets. 45% were civilians, roughly. And when you look at they released the names and there was hot, you know, somebody put a highlighter on all the military people and everybody else was not in highlighter. And you could see about 55% were military, about 45% were innocent civilians. Those 45% innocent civilians, that is absolutely, it's a war crime. You're killing innocent people. You should never target innocent people ever, full stop. Babies, women, children, men who aren't, you know, in the military. It's wrong in every conceivable and imaginable way. And I am of the belief that Hamas killed many of them on purpose, if not all of the civilians on purpose, okay? On the Israeli side, the number of civilians killed with... I actually have the numbers right here. I'm going to pull it up just so I can be super specific. There's 12,910 civilians killed, confirmed, as of me talking to you right now. Uh, 14,160 killed in total. So according to the UN, it's a 74% civilian kill rate that Israel is doing to the Palestinians. Uh, According to Euromed Monitor, it's above 90% civilian death. So we're between 74% and let's say 94% kill rate on the Israeli side. That's also purposeful. That's on purpose. They're not being super specific. We have Israeli officials saying, we're not trying to be specific, we're trying to do damage. So, if the intent is for Hamas and for the IDF to kill civilians on purpose, then it absolutely is fair to call both of them genocidal. And Piers likes to paper over this by making an argument we've all heard a million times. That like, well, when Hamas kills civilians, it's on purpose. When Israel does it, it's collateral damage. I simply don't buy that. And I think the mountain of evidence agrees with my take on it. Again, when you have 5,830 children killed, 3,211 women, when you've displaced over 1.6 million people, 
when you've bombed 115 health facilities, including 21 hospitals, when you've killed 47 journalists, when you've damaged 66 mosques and bombed three churches. It's on purpose. It's on purpose. And even if you buy the argument of, hey, they're using human shields, well, you don't kill 20 civilians to get three Hamas members. And in any other context, everybody agrees to that. But with Israel, everybody shuts their brains off and goes, well, I mean, what were they going to do? Not that is what they should have done unless they wanted to do that. It was their intent to do that, and it is their intent to do that. So this, I've, on, on this one, Piers just totally, he always misses on this. He doesn't get it. There is, like, Sam Harris likes to make the argument, the sin of moral equivalence. There is no equivalence between Hamas and the IDF. That is 100% incorrect. There absolutely is an equivalence. Every Palestinian. They don't want to kill every Palestinian. No. They want to kill every Hamas terrorist. Now, there are legitimate question marks about how they're going about this and about the civilian casualties. But there is a a moral distinction between what Hamas is is dedicated to doing and what Israel is dedicated to doing, isn't there? Let's be clear. If it was true that Israel was just trying to get Hamas and Hamas isn't and they're trying to get civilians, then that would be true. But again, that's not true. It's just not true based on the numbers and based on the expressed intent of many top Israeli officials. No. Uh, first of all, Hamas is a bunch of idiots. They should take that stuff out of their charter. It, all it does is hurt the Palestinian cause. I agree. There's no call for it. It's dumb and it's immoral. But Hamas claims that they would like to do these things. And from time to time, they do these attacks that are horrible and they should never do. But Israel actually kills Palestinians, actually occupies Palestine, actually denies the Palestinians a state. So there's this absurd talk of like, oh, if Hamas was super powerful, they might deny Israel its existence. Except Israel does exist. And and the the Palestinian state does not exist because Israel is blocking their state. So stop using, and I'm not saying to you, Pierce, but this propaganda, this propaganda, hold on, hold on, hold on, this propaganda. You and I, Cenk, you and I are almost the same age, and I'm actually quite worried for how upset you get on TV. You got to protect your health. You're just kind of losing it now. Calm down. Why would you like? I don't know why he would embrace being this smug and dishonest and saying things like that. Like why? That doesn't look good. You think that makes you look good, Rabbi Shmuley? Jesus Christ! I'm upset that you clear. Uh, keep advocating when you, when for you the keep murder on of saying, civilians. Jack, 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 you have like to stop terrorist. yelling. You have to stop screaming, and you need to know the facts. The Palestinians were offered a state seven times, and they rejected it seven times. Bill Clinton. We already went over all this. We already went over all this. He's not bringing up the hundreds of uh, peace proposals that went through the UN that Israel blocked. He's not acknowledging that at all. And by the way, he wouldn't want to talk about the specifics of those peace agreements because even in the most kind to the Palestinians peace agreements, they still didn't have control of their own airspace and had to be demilitarized. So they're not really a sovereign state by any stretch of the imagination. It's more like a Bantu stand from South Africa. And so he's not, ugh, he's just, it's so dishonest. He's so dishonest. Old Yasser Arafat in 2000, you have made me a failure as president because Israel was giving you 97% of Judea and Samaria and the old city of Jerusalem. And Ehud Barak even offered the Temple Mount, the holiest site in Judaism, and the Palestinians rejected it. You simply don't. Go watch the PBS Frontline documentary to get all the details on this, and you'll see it is much more complicated than what he's making it out to be. Oh, Palestine got all what they wanted, and Israel gave away so much, and they still said no, because they're crazy savages who are bloodthirsty. History. Read a book. In fact, read a Wikipedia article. before. Read a book. (laughs) I can't stand this guy. On TV. Number two. You know, you made a very good point before, Pierce, that Winston Churchill is the greatest British statesman and hero of the 20th century. Let's remember, when Churchill was faced with a genocidal threat of the Nazis, you know what he did, which is what we'd never consider doing. He laid waste to 70% of Dresden, Essen, Cologne, Berlin, 
He just he eviscerated Germany and turned it into a parking lot, murdering about six million German civilians. Israel has never even considered doing a thousandth of that. And FDR acquiesced to it, and he's considered our greatest president of the 20th century. And then Harry Truman dropped two atomic bombs on Nagasaki, Hiroshima. So I, and, and Israel has nuclear weapons, has never considered doing that. Israel opened up. Well, they've actually, okay, let me come at you. Let me, so I have, so I have no, one I question. want to come I, back to you on two simple, points. Simple question. Cenk, no, will no, no, you no, no, I, I want to ask you a question, Rabbi. call Winston Churchill a war criminal on this show today? Will you call Churchill a war criminal? All right, Cenk, answer so, that question. Okay, so Rabbi Shmuley, if you're actually a rabbi, um, what the standards of history have changed. So the Mongols went into Baghdad and killed every man, woman, and child, killed 800,000 people, the largest city in the world. Now, we don't live by those standards anymore. And right now, if uh, a modern British prime minister or American president uh, advocated for dropping a nuclear bomb in Japan or for killing 70% of the people that live in Dresden, you're damn right I'd call him a war criminal. It's a different situation okay. today than it was in the past. And so what you're saying is, hey, we only murdered 10,000 civilians and wantonly and recklessly, and we only did a partial genocide, so we're not as guilty. Not, I, I'm not buying it no. at all. No. No, I said, so I actually think that's a good response from Jenk. His argument is like, look, the morality has evolved. The morality has changed. And we're more reasonable and humanitarian these days. And of course, you wouldn't kill six million innocent civilians and act like you're a good guy in that scenario. So that, I think that's a very good answer. Another point that could be made if that one doesn't get through, which, of course, none of these are going to get through to him. But for somebody who might think Rabbi Shmuley's argument there is reasonable. Another point is when the the war is literally existential in nature. Yes, in that scenario, you're going to have reactions that are more like that, right? But the point is, and he would disagree with this, but I think he's wrong, that it's actually not existential for Israel. They might say it is, but it's really not. Because it's not like two relatively equal uh, powers going after each other here. It's, I mean, Gaza is effectively an open-air prison. And Israel has the backing of the world's most powerful country and military in human history. So it's just, it's not existential, which adds that extra layer of like, this is really gratuitous and asinine and over the top, right? So you can make the existential point that World War II is existential. This is not existential, but I actually think his argument is even better, that the morality has evolved. And of course, it, it, you know, using the correct standards of the day with uh, international uh, law, right? <laughs> that with using international law and actually applying it and caring about it, yeah, you're damn right. Anybody who does that would be a war criminal, regardless of what they say their, quote, intentions are in the process. Really, I want to ask you a question. Okay, like hang on, Rabbi, I want to ask you a question, which is this, which is the unique scenario in Gaza, is that nearly half of the civilian population are children. They have nothing to do with this. They're not politicians. They're not in Hamas. They're not terrorists. They're not military. They're kids. And they are in their thousands being killed here. And I ask you, really, is there... Is there any limit, you as a rabbi, of the number of children who need to be killed to get rid of Hamas here, or is there no limit? Of course there's a limit. We mourn the death of every Arab, Muslim, Palestinian child as if a Jewish child died. They are absolutely equal before God. That's why Israel withdrew completely and utterly in 2005, something that Jenk will not even... That's a lie. Knowledge. There isn't one Israeli soldier. There wasn't until this new invasion because of the attack on Zderot, Because of the, I went to those places, Pierce. I was there two weeks ago. I saw the blood caked on the walls, congealed to three or four inches. I saw the knives that were used to murder entire families. We saw the place where Thai, not Jewish, Thai farm workers who were growing pumpkins were beheaded. We saw the body of, of Shani Luke. And I spoke to her mother, Ricarda, who was taken naked. These are religious men in Hamas, taken naked in her underwear and her bra, her dead body, these necrophilia savages. We saw all that. 
How many, how many Palestinian children need to die? God forbid, not one. All Hamas needs to do is let the civilian population go south. Stop using them as human shields. Oh, Hamas that's amazing. So in other words, he's like, just if they were to just peacefully accept the ethnic cleansing where they lose their homes, everything would be fine. <laughs> that's incredible. So they, of course, you know, the northern half of Gaza, they're like, well, this is ours now. You guys all got to go south. And they're marching them south. They're, some Israeli officials are calling it the Gaza Nakba. And he's like, if you do that, everything's fine. Just do, accept the ethnic cleansing and everything's fine. Oh, my God. And all the stuff he's saying about the horrors and the brutality of Hamas, it's all true. But at the same time, you could say the same thing about the Israeli airstrikes that are killing thousands and thousands of children. And he would never say, talk in those specific terms with the gory details for that side of the equation these Palestinian children to die. Every Palestinian child to Hamas is a bulletproof Okay, vest. but you said that you said- for no other reason than to humiliate Israel. Okay. Let them go south and be safe. Okay. But Hamas wants them. They're also bombing the south. This boat, oh, they just go south and be safe. Israel's bombing the south too. It's Hamas's fault. It's Hamas's fault. It's Hamas's fault. Rabbi Shmuley, you oh, did say- that Very, very brilliant and intellectual. Thank you very much. Shocker. Shocker. A, a defender of the Israeli government says literally everything is Hamas's fault. They have no agency- there's a limit. What is that limit? Uh, Pierce, it's hard to put a number on how many people Hamas is prepared to allow to die in order to destroy the state of Israel. Remember, Hamas's motto is from the sea. Literally not answering it, not answering it, not answering it. Uh, from, the, you know, from, the, from sea to sea, Israel will be, uh, Palestine will be free. It's the annihilation of every Jew. Iran. He said from sea to sea. It's from the river to the sea. Or openly, a second Holocaust. This is the eve of Kristallnacht. I don't want to put a number on how many Palestinian children. We, I want to cease fire right now. Hamas must surrender unconditionally, just like FDR and just like Churchill demanded of the Nazis, unconditional surrender, release the hostages. We get a ceasefire right now. Cenk, let me ask you to call for a ceasefire by having Hamas, who you think actually... You've created way more Hamas by doing this indiscriminate bombing campaign. And he knows this is an impossible standard, standard to get all of Hamas to give up to stop the bombing. So he knows it allows for perpetual bombing. This is all so dishonest cares about the Palestinian population, to announce their surrender. Call for their surrender right now. They launched this attack unprovoked against Israel. They slaughtered 1,400 people. They are holding little babies whose diapers need to be changed as hostages. Call for them to surrender unconditionally. All right, Jen, final word to you. Can we... Okay, so look, all this is nonsense. Uh, first of all, Israel did not withdraw. They controlled the borders of Gaza 100%. And as you can tell now, they cut off the water and power anytime they want. Uh, the Jewish people have been oppressed throughout history. My heart goes out to the Jewish people for all the pain and the suffering that they have endured through all of these years. But now Israel, unfortunately, is not the oppressed. It is the oppressor. Look at them dropping 7,000 bombs on grandmothers and children. There's an American nurse that explained on CNN yesterday about how she sees uh, little kids with burns all across their bodies. So Hamas is terrible. Yes, I can call for their surrender. That's easy. I don't like Hamas. I think Hamas is Muslim fundamentalist. But it's an impossible standard. And you know they're not going to meet that standard. And because you want to keep killing those civilians to show them how mighty you are and what a great oppressor you are. I'm sick of it. And it's not only ruining the Palestinians and causing their deaths, but it is ruining, it is calling, is it is causing the moral decay blood of libel, Israel. Blood libel, blood libel. Oh, a, please. Shut the fuck up. So now he's accusing Jenk of being an anti-Semite again. All right, that's a good way to end this. Um, whoo, I don't know how I would have reacted, how I would have handled it if I had to debate this guy, but it's just, all of it is so shamelessly dishonest. It's just so shamelessly dishonest. And I think Piers is trying to engage in it honestly, even though I have disagreements with him. Jenk, I think, is engaging honestly, even though he had that moment where I wouldn't have done it, where he just screamed a bigot and racist at the guy. But, man... I don't know. When you read the comments, people are like this, basically like this conversation wasn't worth it. It was just a scream fest.
I disagree. Because look, the reality is, take a hardcore Israeli supporter and a hardcore Palestinian supporter, and this is what the conversation is going to look like. And so I think you have to sort of have these conversations because they're illuminating and they can get people closer to truth despite all the falsehood Shmuley was spewing there. And it gives you an insight into what it's really like trying to ameliorate this conflict. So anyway, I think overall, Jenk uh, did a good job there. And uh, this guy, this Rabbi Shmuley guy is absolutely insufferable. So what's that uh, famous meme from The Onion? It's like, worst guy you know makes great point or something like that. This is the perfect example of that. So Elon Musk, I don't know, it looks like he's on Lex Friedman's podcast here, and somebody grabbed this off TikTok. But uh, he actually surprised me with this, what he says here about what's happening in Gaza at the moment. Let's listen to it. If, if you're going to just outright uh, commit genocide like against an entire people, which obviously would not be acceptable to, to, to uh, really should be acceptable to anyone, um, then you, you're going to leave basically a lot of people alive who subsequently, you know, hate Israel. So really the question is like, how, for, for every Hamas member that you kill, how many did you create? Mm-hmm. And if you create more than you killed, you've not succeeded. That's the, you know, the real situation there. Um, and it's safe to say that if, you know, um, if, you know, if, if you kill somebody's child in Gaza, if you've, you've made at least a few, uh, Hamas members, who will die just to, just to kill an Israeli. That's the situation. Man, even Elon Musk sees this for what it is. So look, what I would say to him, first of all, I'd say you're right. This is correct. But take it one step further. The excuse that Israel is giving that all of Hamas needs to give up in order for the bombing to stop. Think about that for a second. They know. That is an impossible standard for the reason he just discussed, because every time you do a bombing and you kill an innocent person, how many more Hamas members did you create? How many family members of them? How many kids who are orphaned? There's over 10,000 orphaned kids now that were just created in this recent bombing campaign. So uh, you're creating more Hamas by the minute. So when you say Hamas needs to unconditionally surrender, you know that's literally impossible because you're never going to kill the idea. Hamas is just the idea of a Palestinian hardliner who is cloaked in the identity of uh, an Islamic fundamentalist who is against the occupier and would stop at nothing to get them out of the way and to free Palestine, right? This is, from their perspective, this is what they believe. You're never going to get rid of that idea, especially as long as the occupation continues. So what I would say to Elon Musk is take it one step further. Israel knows this, but they don't care because they actually don't want to stop the bombing. They would like to keep bombing. They would like to keep killing innocent civilians. And they would like to do, as they're already in the process of doing, ethnically cleanse Gaza. Right now, they've kicked people out of the north of Gaza and moved them to south Gaza. And then what they're attempting to do is bribe Sisi in Egypt to open up the Rafah border crossing to make it so that you set up a tent city in the Sinai Desert and you just keep Palestinians there. Hey, they're your problem now, Egypt. And that then there is no more Gaza Strip. It becomes occupied by Israel permanently. And they got rid of what they view as one of their uh, one of the impediments to returning Israel to its biblical borders. Right. Next, of course, they would they'll continue with the illegal settlements in the West Bank, try to kick out all the Palestinians from there. Um, And we're off to the races. And I don't even think they'll stop there. They want parts of Lebanon as well. Right. So. This is what they want. And they set up an impossible standard so they have an excuse to continue doing it. 
it's look, it's the perfect analogy is the war on terror. What the U.S. did with the war on terror. How are you going to defeat terror? It's not possible to defeat terror. That's not a thing. So it's a war on a tactic. That tactic's always going to exist. That ideology is always going to exist. But it allows us an open-ended conflict. It allows us to continue a war in perpetuity. That's what we did. Iraq, Afghanistan. And that's exactly what Israel's doing now. And they've literally invoked 9-11 a number of times. Like, hey, nobody told the U.S. to stop after 9-11, so nobody should tell us to stop. So Elon Musk is right. I would just tell him, take it a step further. They know Israel knows this, and they purposefully set up an impossible standard so they can excuse and justify their continued bombing and continued ethnic cleansing. It's dark, but it also happens to be the truth. So as predicted, y'all, we got trouble in paradise already. So Marjorie Taylor Greene has now officially turned on the new Republican speaker, Mike Johnson, and uh, this is glorious. I predicted this for you on day one, that literally nobody should want the job that Mike Johnson now has because it is impossible to hold together that coalition of psychopaths. So here in Raw Story, they say, On Saturday afternoon, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene raged at House Speaker Mike Johnson for pouring cold water on ramping up the impeachment of President Joe Biden. The newly elected speaker already has his hands full working out an acceptable budget proposal with his caucus as a government shutdown looms, and in comments made this week, he stated, he hasn't seen enough solid evidence to proceed with an impeachment. Linking to a post on X, formerly known as Twitter, that quote uh, that quotes Johnson reportedly saying, quote, there's insufficient evidence at the moment to initiate formal impeachment proceedings. Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was a strong supporter of ousted House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, lashed out. So look, let's just think about this logically for a second. The reason why this guy is saying this is he's got his hands full trying to make sure there's not a government shutdown. When there is a government shutdown, if there is one, Republicans will get blamed. He knows that. He knows it'll hurt Republicans moving forward. So now priority number one is let's get a deal that's on conservative terms that will avert a government shutdown. That's what he's focusing on. Even if you're the most hardcore right winger in the world, you should look at that and go, makes perfect sense. Ah, not to Marjorie Taylor Greene because she has the IQ of a gnat. Quote, not long ago, we had a speaker that believed in impeachment so much that he launched an impeachment inquiry with a floor vote. But you were told he was bad, she wrote before adding. After eight Republicans and all Democrats ousted him, we found checks to, to Joe Biden and evidence of a massive money laundering scheme. And now the new guy you are told is way, is way better doesn't want to impeach. Such progress, she sneered. She lives in La La Land, right? She's drunk on Newsmax propaganda, One American News Network propaganda. She's drunk on Fox News propaganda. She thinks it's an open and shut case to impeach Joe Biden. Utter garbage. First of all, an impeachment vote probably wouldn't even get through the House, which is Republican-controlled. But second of all, let's say for argument's sake, it does get through the House. It immediately dies in the Senate. Immediately. You are nowhere near the numbers you need to impeach him and have him removed. Even if you do your little virtue signal impeachment through the House and it gets through, guess what? He will be exonerated in the Senate and he'll get a thousand headlines and articles saying Joe Biden exonerated. Democrats did this to Trump, and it helped Trump. He would hold up the newspaper saying exonerated in, in the Senate. So I think Mike Johnson is smart enough to know this. He knows there's no end game. There's no strategy to actually impeaching Joe Biden. They don't have the evidence. Even if they did have the evidence, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't go through. He knows it's going to hurt Republicans. So he's like, I haven't seen evidence yet. And she lashes out at this dumbass. I love it. Oh, it's so good. But also, look, let's just make the point as well that... 
like, she is right that Kevin McCarthy, with his little uh, virtue signal of an impeachment inquiry, that was an attempt to appease the MAGA wing. And it didn't work. And now the new guy comes in, and they say he's going to be more conservative, but looks like he's not even in favor of, like, the inquiry. So Matt Gates, for all of his bluster and all of his, we need somebody further to the right. It's like, really, how'd that work out for you? Now you just got a weirdo who monitors his 17-year-old son's porn habits and his son monitors his. Now you just got a guy who wants to criminalize homosexuality. That's actually what Mike Johnson believes. So all of the infighting was literally for Dick. It was for Dickie McGee's axe. All of that infighting. But look, like I told you guys, I love it. I support Matt Gates and what he's doing because he's ripping the Republicans apart from the inside which is nothing but lovely and wonderful. And now they're already turning on each other. They're already sniping. I guarantee you this Mike Johnson guy will be hated by the caucus in due time. He's already hated by Marjorie Taylor Greene. That list will continue to grow, I assure you. So this is awesome. We had some elections the other night. And uh, as you guys all know, Democrats did well and Republicans didn't. <laughs> so you had in Ohio, they had uh, the direct vote on weed and abortion, and weed and abortion won. I think ultimately it may have been by double digits in both cases. Crushing. Now, Ohio is a Republican plus six or plus eight state, and they overwhelmingly voted for weed and abortion. Okay. You also have what went on in Kentucky, where Demo incumbent Democrat Andy Bashir crushed um, Cameron, they're his Republican opponent, and it just it wasn't looking good. Virginia now Democrats hold both uh, state legislative bodies, whereas previously they only held one. That hurts Yunkin, also hurts his future presidential ambitions. So just, I mean, Democrats are winning by simply not being Republicans and not being psycho on abortion. Well, needless to say, the Fox News losers um, are, don't know how to deal with this. They don't know how to deal with this. They're struggling. And so here's Greg Gutfeld with his thoughts on what, what happened. Yeah, I say Democrats are very lucky that they're against a party with principles. Because mm -hmm. when you have principles, you're less likely to compromise in exchange for power, right? So, yeah, sure, Republicans can win and you'll get lower taxes and a stronger economy and more security and less crime. But if that means you're going to give in on abortion, I prefer to lose on principle. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel that way. Dems, it's usually the opposite. Power trumps principle. It's why they were OK with Soros funding DAs that destroyed our cities. Uh. The country suffers, but they won those seats. It's why the original party of free speech comes out in favor of censorship because it's. Oh, please tell me what the Republicans are saying about pro-Palestine groups right now, you loser. They want to disband them. They want to ban them. Jesus Christ. Republican opinion as disinformation and they win. It's why they don't mind a non-border because maybe long term it will help them with votes, more voters. The reason why Republicans are losing is because they're so principled. Or maybe it's because they're led by a criminal who was indicted four times and has 91 criminal charges against him. A guy who still acts like he won the 2020 election when he didn't. He is the face of extremism on the right and he leads the party. Maybe it's also because Roe versus Wade was overturned and people correctly blame Republicans for that. The problem is that we're too principled. We're too principled. Or you're too reductive in how you view abortion. That all these states that are going super extreme and saying, you know, ban it from the moment of conception or ban it at six weeks or whatever it is. Uh, maybe that's way too hard line of view and people simply don't agree with you. Now, to be fair, he says, hey, they're principled and they lose. You know, I'll take it. Well, here's a great example of exactly that. So Matt Walsh, quote, I wouldn't compromise on abortion, even if it really did mean losing every election from now to kingdom come. I will never accept abortion. I will never compromise on it. 
I would play the clip for you, but it's long and he's boring. And But he says literally this at the end. Okay, so, hey, Matt Walsh, we have a point of agreement. By all means, proceed, sir. <laughs> proceed. Like, man, it is wild to me. They don't, like, even Sean Hannity has come to a realization here. He's like, I think this is the main issue holding us back. Of course, Hannity's more of a Trump denialist that acts like Trump isn't hurting him, right? Or isn't hurting the Republicans. But Hannity pins it all on this. And he's almost like, for the love of God, either stop talking about it or have a more moderate position. Like, I think his thing is like 15 weeks, even in the red states. And, you know, maybe that's a good idea. But you got guys like Matt Walsh, who, hey, to be fair, Gutfeld was right with his principled point. He is principally in favor uh, against abortion. And if that means from the moment of conception or it's murder, which I think is what Matt Walsh's position is, then, like I said, by all means, proceed, sir, because you will continue to get your cheeks Claptington if this is the road that you want to go down. So, look, I say all that to simply point out, good. <laughs> Keep your principles. And it's so funny, too, because it's like, we are so principally pro-life. But then the immediate question that follows is, okay, are you against the death penalty? And they're like, no, I like that one. So you're pro-life only for gametes and zygotes and pre-gestation fetuses. And by the way, the second the baby's born, you guys know, you know, you guys know the deal. What happens? Like, piss off. No child tax credit, no paid maternity leave, no paid paternity leave. Like, we don't care. As soon as they're out in the real world, social safety net, pfft. Schmoschel schlafly fled. Get out of here. We don't care about that. Not even in the slightest. So it's pro-life in the most limited, meaningless way you can possibly imagine. That's what they mean when they say pro-life. And so, okay, you want to be principled on just the issue of abortion in this very specific way? By all means. Because this will keep happening. And I said it before, I'll say it again. Guys, it is not like the Democrats are wonderful, right? It's just that People look at them in comparison to the Republicans, and it is people are voting more in an anti-Republican kind of way versus a pro-Democrat kind of way. It's not like they're excited for Democrats and how great they're doing. It's just that they're like, these guys are so out of lockstep with us in immeasurable ways. And Matt Walsh is key example of this. This guy has been the worst at election advice of anybody in the entire country. He's been hideously and horrendously bad. This is the guy who was like, run on trans stuff. And then Republicans did, and everybody was saying it was going to be a red wave, and it wasn't. It was a red trickle. Run on crime stuff. They did, and uh, it was supposed to be a red wave, and it wasn't. It was a red trickle. And so all, like, the trans fear-mongering, it's like it all comes to naught. Taking your principled stance on abortion to lose? Okay, that's exactly what'll happen. So, God bless. All right, guys, that's the show. I love y'all very much. Thank you for listening to me. As per usual, do me a big favor. Please click like, please click subscribe. Please click that bell icon so you get a notification every single time a video drops. Remember, you can listen to the show on podcast form in uh, over on Spotify if you'd like. And that's all I got for you. Everybody could sign up uh, to support the show as well if you like what we do here. Uh, most of my stuff gets demonetized on uh, on Israel and Palestine. So if you support the work we're doing here, you could support on Patreon below or tip with the thanks button on YouTube or sign up over on Crystal Kyle and Friends. All right, guys, I love you all and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace.